1: Hey, I'm Zach,
2: and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. Chimp is dead, and the silent actress is losing her mind. As we take a look into the dark side of fame in Hollywood, as we talk Sunset Boulevard this week on Zach on Film.
1: It sounds like some sort of secret code. The chimp it, is dead. Repeat. Yeah. The chimp is dead.
0: It, it just might might be. As we take a look at uh, Sunset Boulevard from nineteen, what is it, 54? 50.
1: 1950.
0: 1950. Um Yeah, as a, this is a this is one of my favorite movies. Uh, for a number of different reasons, uh, but I think we should take a look at this from Zach's perspective, because he's never seen this before. Have never. you? I'm, I'm assuming, Matthew, you've watched this movie at
1: least once never. before. No, never. never? I have never seen a single frame of Sunset. Wow. Football. Okay. What about you, Rodrigo?
3: I had seen parts of it for classes, but I never actually sat down to watch it.
0: Oh, okay. So this is going to be fascinating then, because this is going to be an interesting discussion, I think. So, Zach, give us a story rundown of what Sunset Boulevard is about, and okay. then I want to get your, don't worry about what I said, uh, that this is my favorite movie, because if you don't like it, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But then I want to get everybody's general feedback on this story, on this on this movie. Okay. Okay? Go.
2: All right. So, Sunset Boulevard takes place in California on Sunset Boulevard. Uh, down and out uh, writer, uh, trying to keep his uh, life afloat with money, ends up at a giant run-down mansion uh, that he finds is home to a once uh, very famous silent actress. hmm And she is writing a screenplay, and she eventually gets him to help, and he needs the help because he needs money so he can keep his car and his life going. Uh, so they start writing writing this film. That's going to be her big break after she walked away from it because I don't think she wanted to do talkies. Um... So then we start to find out that she's kind of crazy and she's kind of in love with him and then it gets weird and How then so. it gets sad uh it gets weird uh because she's crazy, and we find out that uh this mysterious butler she has mm-hmm. uh used to be the director that found her, and, and? also. Her first husband yes yes, uh there's a line where our uh main uh, narrator of the story, the writer uh, is being moved into the the mansion, and he says this used to be the husband's room, which lo and behold, used to be this man's room until this lady left him, and now he's back to take care of her as she slowly goes crazy from not being famous anymore.
1: She's had apparently multiple husbands in that room. Yes, I think th- yeah. three. They said three. Uh, the husband's madam yes. has been married three times. And uh, very
2: big problems come in when our uh character wants to see other people, he's tired of being cooped up mm-hmm. and he uh wants to go back and pee people with his own age and starts writing another uh script with a young lady who thrashed his work at the beginning. Uh love ensues. And then it's broken because this man kind of likes this, uh, uh, old actress. Specifically, all the things she has given him from money.
0: So that's so put a pin on that because we need to come back. Put a pin
2: on it. Yeah. Uh, then let's see. He kind of acts uh like a douche to Hmm. her uh, young young writer lady, uh, silent actress lady. I can't remember anyone's name. Uh. Goes Norma? crazy, yeah, Norma. Yes. Um, she, Betty is the young woman. Uh, we find out in the middle of the film that she uh, is suicidal. We find this because uh, there are no doors or no handles on any of the doors in the house. No locks. No locks. Yeah, locks. Uh, and she, this is when that's when it really starts getting into a dark place mm-hmm. in this film. Uh, so, eventually. Uh, a writer man is going to leave. He's going to go back to Ohio to work at a newspaper to get away from all of this. Uh, she shoots him. He falls in the pool dead, like we saw at the very beginning of the film. And then she gets the cameras and spotlights that she has been so desperately wanting for the last 20 of years, and blur fade out.
0: Okay. Right. I mean, you've kind of kind of hit it that's on that. I mean, that's a good overall overall rough. Without any I think you hit nuances. on the major Yeah, I think you hit on the major plot points in the piece. Uh so what did you think about this movie? What was your reaction after watching it?
2: Uh my reactions for this movie were this is terrifying. This is kind of a horror film. And I liked it.
0: Oh. What about you, Matthew?
1: I don't know if I would agree with the assessment that it's a horror film. It's well, definitely yeah, got horrible aspects to it. I think it, but-
0: it, I think it just depends. I mean, this is I I you know maybe not a horror film maybe psychological thriller at least because Norma Desmond messes with with the with his mind mm-hmm. so much in this piece and then the things that come across uh, that she does are bizarre and in a sense horrifying yeah. in a lot of her actions.
1: It feels to me like it falls kind of in that same realm as maybe Vertigo and Psycho with you know that that Hitchcockian thing feel to it but it also has kind of that that fast talking kind of a uh, high trousers yeah she eat and you're kind of thing that i associate with an earlier era of filmmaking and yeah. it's it definitely for me I, I there are horrible aspects to the story but for me a horror movie has more of a of a i don't know kind of a suspense aspect to it and this is more like watching an, an inevitable slide <laughs> yeah as, yeah as 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 Norma goes more and further and further into her woohoo yeah, yeah, yeah. did you like the movie? I loved this movie, and this is this is unusual for me because the only touchstone that I have for N- Norma Desmond is Carol Burnett on the Carol Burnett show doing her Gloria Swanson with the big wide eyes, and she comes down. Mm-hmm. And she's the the crazy old lady living in her house mm-hmm. and Harvey Foreman would be there. That's the only real cultural touchstone I have for this. I'd never seen even a second of it. And I, I popped it in today and I'm sitting here and going, okay, okay, that's a street corner. And then that big long pan starts and I'm like, Ooh, and literally this movie grabbed me from the very beginning. And even the weird Nawari narration mm-hmm. didn't throw me. Usually that kind of narration is the reason why I hate Blade Runner, partly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the narration works. The breakdown works. There's a point where even I go, "Oh my god, that's Buster Keaton."
0: Yeah, we'll talk. We'll put another pin on that, and we'll come back to it as well. So yeah, you liked it, Rodrigo? What about you? Uh,
3: yeah, I liked it. Um, and 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 also, I was surprised uh, about the fact that I liked it. Um, And, um, I think it's because, you know, at the very beginning of the movie, they tell you that, you know, that the narrator is narrating the movie posthumously. So you already like, it's in a sense, you know what to expect, you know, what's coming, but you don't know what to expect is is really what it is. Like at no point that I know what was going to happen next in this movie. Um, which is very rare. And yeah. it, 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 I found it very interesting because, you know, when we did It Happened One Night, um, that uh, that formula has been done again and again and again, a trillion times. But I haven't seen a lot of Sunset Boulevards. Right. But yeah. Because, you
0: know, it is, it's, it, it's disturbing, right? So um, when you say you don't know how the movie's going to end, um, Billy Wilder and the and the writer didn't really know how it was going to end because they were already <laughs> shooting it, uh, and they only had like two-thirds of the script done. So they kind of didn't know what was going to happen next. And you got to remember, this is still done in the studio system where you had yes. a writer's row. And so I think what is most fascinating about this film, and I think why so many people like it, is that Billy Wilder is holding a mirror up to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And Billy Wilder, a lot of people know him more from comedies um, uh, than, you know, some drama like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what he's doing is he's saying, hey, look, Hollywood, here is us. Yeah. And here are the things that have happened to us over the last 30 years. So mm-hmm. we get this tale of Norma Desmond, who was a huge movie star in the silent era and couldn't make that transition over to the talkies. And we see the rise by the 1950s when this story is taking place, we see the rise of television and we still have star power, but maybe not the star power that was the um, um, the Valentino's and the Gloria Swanson's who plays uh, who plays Norma Desmond in this. Um, So there's also that parallel between Norma and Swanson in this piece uh because a lot of the things that happened in here did happen to Swanson. I mean, she had she didn't make the transition into talkies. She was living in New York retired as an actress by the time Wilder came around and she was like the third choice to play this role. And then through conversations and discussions, um she decided to do it and she I, I don't remember if it was her um publicist or if it was her agent or whoever But she was like, do I really want to do this movie that almost makes fun of me? Mm -hmm. And he's like, and he was like, this is the movie that's going to make people remember who Gloria Swanson is. And you need to take, you need to do this movie. And (laughs) she's like, okay. Um, The the real problem was that Gloria Swanson, just kind of aside, um, she was... Sun-a-phobic. I mean, she stayed out of the sun as much as possible because she believed it caused wrinkles and causes right. st- skin deterioration. Sure. So here's a woman who's in her 50s, uh, 53, I think is when, when, uh, how old she was when she did this movie. And you see this big shot of the magnifying glass on her skin mm-hmm. and there's barely a blemish there. And so there was a lot of questions on, do we put age makeup on Gloria? And right. she convinced Wilder and everyone else that no, if she was this person, this is exactly mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. Yeah. Norma would have acted yeah. to make herself stay as young as she possibly could.
1: Which is an excellent point.
0: Instead, she said, why don't we try everything that we can to make William Holden, the the, the writer, look younger? And so they said, OK. Mm-hmm. So then as we further hold the mirror up to Hollywood, we see the waxworks. You know, she's going to play cards with the waxworks. Mm-hmm. And so we see. Um, we, we see some of the old silent era people yeah. uh, come over to play cards. And again, these are people that someone sitting in the audience watching this film would go, I know who Buster Keaton is. Mm-hmm. I yeah. know who that is. You know, there's a part in the movie where she goes to uh, see Cecil B. DeMille. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he's currently filming a movie.
1: And it's it actually, actually him.
0: <laughs> it's actually Cecil B. DeMille. And not only that, they are shooting this movie While the real movie that Cecil B. DeMille was working on uh, Samson and Delilah was being shot. So this is a movie taking a shot of a movie about the movies. And so it really starts to get really metatextual Uh, when Cecil B. DeMille and Gloria Swanson are exchanging lines. He starts using some words that he used when they were working together in the silent era. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then (laughs) go to step further. Um, uh, a lot of the props and scenery that are in, uh, Norman Desmond's house came from Gloria's collection yeah. or, uh, like the big swan bed that she sleeps in
1: yes.
2: was
0: actually from another, uh, silent era actress who had killed herself Oh yes. and the that, studio had that, bought it in an auction and decided to include it in this piece.
1: That bed to me is the first sign of Norma's lunacy. Yeah, yeah. Uh when 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 William Holden's character first walks in, he's mistaken for the man who's supposed to bring and they're like the coffin. And I'm like, "What? Mm-hmm. What?" Yeah. And you see this massive swan bed and I'm like, "What the hell is going on in this house?" And then of course it's a dead chimpanzee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. pretty creepy. Which is like okay. Well and then we have you have definitely stepped into Wonderland. Here. And
0: so again, going back to this this mirror on Hollywood, Eric von Stroheim, who was a very well known director, I mean he would have been the yes. top three directors in the silent era, was mm-hmm. again basically reduced to not being able to do anything by the time the talkies came around. And so we have this weird again thing where this world famous director in the story is reduced mm-hmm. to playing the butler mm-hmm. uh, Ma- uh, Max uh, von uh, Mayerling.
1: Max Max von... May, it? Okay. I think it's
0: Mayerling is his name.
1: Yes. Um,
0: and in the scene where Holden and Swanson are watching one of her old movies, mm-hmm. one of the silent movies, that was actually a movie directed by Stroheim
1: yeah.
0: that they're showing on the screen. So, it. I mean, this whole movie just kind of loops in on itself. And I think there have only been a, a couple of other movies that have done this... Uh, the player being probably the other one that mm-hmm. uh kind of holds this mirror up to Hollywood and say, look at ourselves and tie so much into it. Mm-hmm. Um and that one is also very well regarded as well. Mm-hmm. It's much longer, not as creepy as as this one may be. Yeah. But just from a uh just from a, a standpoint of here's an inside look of what's happened to people over time, I think that's yeah. why this movie is somewhat popular.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's I mean, it's definitely a product of its time with the, the heavy string section and the dun, yeah. and that the voiceover narration and somehow it still feels relevant. It's still, it doesn't feel like, you know, for instance, some of my favorite movies feel very, very dated. If right. you go back, and you watch Todd Browning's freaks or when we, you know, when we watched the DW Griffith piece that we saw and the normal, what we take now for granted of editing techniques just aren't there the the storylines that we expect expect and that progression isn't there this doesn't feel so much like a, a product of the 50s as it does a product of you know maybe even the late 60s early 70s period and it's something that i like the fact that it doesn't necessarily feel modern per se but there's still a relevance
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: you could look at this if you were if you were you know god help them today they're in the remake fever you could remake this oh yeah, yeah. today in 2012 do almost the same story and have it be you know an actress from the 1950s when this movie mm-hmm. came out mm-hmm. this is something that the the story itself is really strong the performances i swear to you william holden half of his lines Are under his breath. Yeah. I mean, there's a response to things that other people are saying. Yeah.
0: There's probably one of the most famous lines from, well, there's two famous lines from this movie. One of them is after Holden's character is dead, so he really can't make a comment. Mm -hmm. But, um, uh, he makes some comment to her about, oh, I remember you used to be in in pictures mm-hmm. in, in you, you and and whatever happened, and she's big. like, yeah, she, you used to be big, and she says, uh, I'm still big. It's the screen that's gotten small, you know, <laughs> and uh, you know, she's just this larger than life, cra- you know, crazy person that still is so filled with ego, yeah, and that drives her every move, and she wants to, you know, she looks young, right, still for someone yeah. in her fifties, yeah. um, yeah. she wants to be with. Younger men, men that could be half her age. We don't know how old uh, William Holden's character is, but we could imagine he's in his early 20s, mid-20s, your age, Zach. And that goes back to our, our the first little pin. You say that he seems comfortable with everything that she's giving him, and he seems okay with taking the gold cigarette case and the platinum watch. And he's okay when she goes out to buy him clothes and the uh, sleazy salesman is like, since the lady's buying, why don't you go with the upgrade yeah. and get the expensive stuff?
2: At first, he was hesitant mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. for that, but then by the end, when he tails off mm-hmm. the lady, he, I mean, to that point, up to that point, it still felt like this is not where he wanted to be, that he was a
0: captive. Mm-hmm. At but first, it's that way, yes.
2: And then at that moment, you say, oh, no, he's completely fine with this. He uh, likes his
0: point, but... Well, he, I think you're right. I think he does like the idea yeah. of being a kept man.
1: In this, as, long in story, as, seemed, as long as 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 long nobody knows about it.
2: Yeah, and it... Well, w- when that happened, I started thinking about why it was unfolding. When he first comes to her house and she forces him to write a screenplay, he says something to the line of she had started formulating her ideas of what he meant to her, but she didn't know I had my own plan. Mm-hmm. Right. To essentially Concocting just a plan to of use life. her.
0: So then, Rodrigo, who has the who has the power in this story? Because it does seem like, yeah, I'm just going to use this old old woman for my my means and do whatever I want and and be able to get things from her mm-hmm. while I try to advance my career. But I don't know if that's necessarily the case.
3: Right. I think. Um, very much from the, from the beginning, uh, Norma has the majority of the power. And Mm. even though sometimes it doesn't look that way, um, we slowly find out that that is the case. Um, I think really the realization that the butler used to be married to her. Yes. Um, is, and, and he used to be a promising director is really the moment when we, have that that realization is like oh no this has happened before like uh norma is kind of like this black hole and everybody Mm -hmm. gets drawn into it to the point where she's this crazy washed up actress and she goes and she talks to one of our old directors and he treats her extremely well Mm -hmm. because there's just something about her that makes you like her that makes you like pity her even though she's yeah. clearly like demanding and right. totally nuts. Well, and I can see that happening.
0: You know, you're this director who's found this young ingenue and you've you're smitten with her performance and you think that she's great and you end up marrying her and then she rejects you and maybe you feel heartbroken, you know, you still have that love for that character and then she goes through husband 2 and then husband 3 and you come to yeah. realize she's falling on hard times and so for uh, Stroheim or for um um Max, Max he comes back and this is his chance to be near her, even though he has to, in a sense, lower himself.
1: Right. And, he, and I, I think, think
0: that, he understands that she's mentally unstable, too. I mean, he admits that he's the one writing all these fan letters oh, yeah. to her.
1: He's he's supporting her, but I think that the underlying, you know, the underlying hidden bit is his decline is implied to be not along with hers, but because of hers. His decline as a director, at least the way I read into it, didn't come because he wasn't a good director, but because he was so dedicated to trying to make Norma happy that he gave up his career. He, you know, he, he walked away from it or was forced away from it because everything that he did was about supporting Norma's delusions and keeping Norma comfortable and keeping Norma happy. And I think when you get to the end, when Joe calls over his little girlfriend, right, and goes off on her. That's the point where it really cements it for me because Joe realizes he's falling into that same trap, and he's lying to the girlfriend about being comfortable with what he what he's become and what he's doing to keep her from falling into that same thing. It it kind of felt like Max is gone. Max is completely. engulfed by norma's madness and joe knows he's going down for that third time but he lies to betty and sends her away to go marry joe friday so that she can have a chance at not being sucked down by the immense vortex of dread that is norma desmond
0: can you can you not pick a, a better name than joe (laughs) <laughs> for for the for the name of your character in this average piece, Joe. your, your yeah. average Joe. This can happen to a lot of people, and uh, you know, Joe Ryder, who's going through these hard times, and who wouldn't want to have some, mm-hmm. you know, extreme. I mean, beyond wealth. I mean, yeah. it, her place mm-hmm. isn't run down because she doesn't have the wealth. The place is run down because that's how she likes it, right? Yeah. I mean, she'll fix it up when it's New Year's Eve and it's time to have a private party for just Joe and her. um, But the rest of the time, she doesn't care. It's not you never hear uh, Max say, hey, this is tough time. She is immensely wealthy. And, you know, Joe's okay with that.
1: And I think one of the most wonderful parts about it is as she perks up and as he becomes more a part of her life, you see the changes that happen. And you see she goes and has Max fill in the pool and, you know, do the, the things again and, you know, maybe dust the place and take care of the windows, but you get to the point where, as she's sucking the life out of Joe, you see her kind of coming back to life, and you see the yeah, the mansion yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. almost coming back as an extension of her. But mm-hmm. you never get past that first image, and it's it's fascinating to me. He makes a remark about being in prison; the front door of the mansion looks gates. like a jail door. Mm-hmm. And every time when when it first opens, it opens and then Max closes it behind him and there's this little clang. And I'm like, oh, that, ooh, you are a subtle director, man. So,
0: so I wonder, um, Zach or Rodrigo can answer on this. Um, is there a lesson that Wilder is trying to point out in this piece? Is he trying to say, you know, this is what Hollywood does with its stars or – be careful if you're coming out here, this is the trap you're going to fall into. I mean, is there a is there a moral to this story?
2: Um the one of the big giant takeaways I took from this from a story aspect was that Norma from what I saw did not do acting because she liked the art of acting. And she also didn't do acting for the money because I don't think she really cared about money. And I don't really think she cared about acting. What I think she cared about was being famous and people flocking to her. And when that gets taken away, then then you lose it. So I think if if, whatever you're doing, if you're podcasting, drawing, whatever, if you're doing it because you love to do that thing, Like, no one can ever stop you from drawing, really. I mean, if you're not going to make money, if you're making money, you lose the money, you can still practice your art and your love of drawing. Right. Uh, But if you're doing something just to be famous, that can go away pretty quick, especially in entertainment, in Hollywood and TV and everything. That can go away pretty fast. Mm -hmm. And if you're just doing it to be famous, then you're going to get down a dark hole and you're going to start doing things uh to try to be famous,
3: insert reality t v okay Rodrigo I don't think there's a moral i think um this movie is in a lot of ways a film it's it's a film for film guys. Yes, I would agree um, with you on that, and that's and that's largely, I think, what it what it tries to accomplish and what I think it accomplishes really well. Right, it simultaneously glamorizes and demonizes the the industry, which is the sort of um, like uh, um, chest beating, not like a monkey, but like a, like a Mea culpa kind of thing that uh, people really go for. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, yes, oh, movie people, we are terrible, but also we are beautiful is largely what this movie is doing. So at one point, uh, someone
0: later, and I guess for whatever reason, I don't know if it's Billy Wilder in general or just on this particular film, because he knew that people were going to come up and do critical analysis and try to read into everything. And someone came up to him and said, you know, was your intention to make this a, a, a black comedy And he's like, you know what? I'm not going to really make any comments on this movie. I'm going to let the reviewers and the critics and the educators come up and try to find the meaning in this Mm -hmm.
1: movie. Okay. And that's a a good way to go. I think that, you know, you get into the point where the intention isn't really the point. And there are points when Gloria Swanson is chewing the crap out of the scenery. In that specific way she has of talking.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And you're kind of like, wow. But it, it, it's something that never takes you away from that character because she's an actress. She's all about this artificiality and the appearance of affluence and youth. And she talks like she wants people to think she talks because she wants people to think she's a natural born star. And yeah, there are moments where Joe is really snarky. And really funny and Mm -hmm. almost too quick. But then you're like, wait, this man's a writer for a living. You know, he's 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 doing this every day. Mm -hmm. She's over the top because she wants to be a star. He's witty and clever because he gets paid to be witty and clever for a living. It never really it never really tears me entirely out of
0: it. Yeah, but I think he also doesn't he also want that taste of fame. And by being that kept man, he can
1: have mm-hmm. a well,
0: taste of of what he can't achieve and that's he why says, he's willing to leave says, at the end
1: somebody says to him you had talent he's like that was last year this year i'm trying to pay the bills <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's he's not at the point where he's given up on his dream but this is like his last thing this is that hook and he's he is desperate when he starts taking advantage of her but it's also something where he knows he thinks he knows what he's what he's getting into, and then it turns into this whole weird codependent thing. And I think that part of the fascinating process of writing for me is if they didn't know how it ended, they did a really good job of setting up that first third, that first two thirds of the movie of being able to go damn near anywhere so long as you had that tragic little da dawn at the right, end. Right, right. Right, Some, right. somebody gonna die in this movie. Yeah, yeah somebody gonna die that's what you're looking at at this and even though the thing that happens is not what i expected to have happen even though in the first 30 seconds of the film they tell me what happened
0: oh yeah and you know that that is really kind of shocking and and you realize that this movie is told all via flashback so you don't yeah i think for 1950s that i mean i'm sure it's been done before but for the 1950s that seems like a really radical way of telling the story of hey man i'm dead at the end of this movie here's how i got here yeah and then draw you into these characters—a very uh, modern
1: narrative device.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rodrigo, anything else about story that we you think we need to touch on? Story that we need to touch on, or from um, the storytelling aspect of it?
3: No, I think that uh, I mean this. This movie is kind of encapsulated by the narrator's dead. And you just kind of see the, everybody's slow descent into madness, mm-hmm. and finally, the way that everybody deals with it um she does something crazy, he tries to escape, but first um is very self destructive about it um and the butler is still there
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, so uh what's? Cut this thing in half and give a shout out to our associate producers, Matthew Floyd, Jared Agon, Derek Viger, D- 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 Lost My Place, Jacob Crimin, Mark Buback, <laughs> Burbach, Daniel Cotter, Michael Bowen, Zachariah McAllister, Jason Foreman, and Hunter Graham. Thank you all for being an associate producer of Zach on Film. Your support is loved by every one of us.
0: Yes. yes. Every single one of us. Um, on the technology side. hmm the first shot of the film is, well, yeah. not the first shot, but One uh, of the first that, shot that from shot. inside the pool looking up at William Holden's body as he just floats there lifeless. Yeah, and was Wilder awesome. was just like, this is the shot that I want. I don't want it from above looking down at his body. I mean, I want to be looking up into his face. And today it would just be a matter of, sure, let's slap the camera into a waterproof housing, go down yep. there, we'll get our shot, bada bing, bada boom, we're done. Yep. This was not the case here. I mean, they had to build a specially designed um, glass case Mm -hmm. to try to submerge the camera and couldn't get the look just right. And then they used a trick that is just, it's a genius trick to me. Let's put a mirror in the bottom of the pool. Yeah. Shoot down to the mirror that's reflecting William Holden and everything back from that view. It's a simple solution to a very complicated problem and complicated shot. And I think that's brilliant.
2: And it works. Oh, yeah, it was amazing. It looked fantastic.
0: So John F. Seitz is the cinematographer on this, and he worked, he's worked with Billy Wilder multiple times. He worked on Double Indemnity is probably another movie that he's well known for. And he did a lot of uh, of very interesting things with Light, and, again, I don't know, at this point, I'd have to go back to see where Billy Wilder is in his career, but because he had worked with with the uh, sites before he was basically like, I trust you to do whatever it takes to make this film work and just let him go crazy with the cinematography as far as lighting and design uh, in this piece, which I find uh fascinating. So here's a quote, uh, film historian, Tom Stemple writes uh, in both D- double indemnity and sunset Boulevard sites does something that has always impressed me. Both are film noir and he finesses the fact that both are set in the sunniest of locales, Los Angeles. He brings together the light and the dark in the same film without the seams showing. He brings together the realistic lighting of Joe Gillis out in the real world and the gothic look of Nora De- Norma Desmond's mansion, again, with no seams showing. So, yeah, you, until you realize it, you don't notice the difference between,
1: yeah.
0: you know, light and
1: dark. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it really does fascinating stuff in terms of just that. That breakdown in the in the early parts of that film, where it's all about Joe and his his running around and you know trying to hide his car from the people who are trying to repossess it, mm-hmm. I, you know it, that is really ridiculously bright and well done, and it feels outdoor without feeling. That mm-hmm. was something that I liked. It didn't feel like there was a lot of um, s- sound stage shooting for the exteriors. No, which is something that always drives me nuts in old films.
0: Again, you know? a lot of this because of what they were doing. Scenes that were shot inside of the soundstage were shot on the actual soundstage. The shots oh. that take place on Writer's Row actually were shot on the on the studio lot at Writer's Row. Stuff that was done in the mansion—I guess my understanding is at the time period there were a lot of palatial mansions that had fallen to the wayside. So mm-hmm. it was a simple matter of going in and shooting there. I think the only stuff that looks really soundstagey um, is the uh, is the little apartment over the garage and some of the main ballroom. Uh, stuff in there um
3: i I think what's uh really great about this movie again this movie is such a film person's movie um is that it's kind of also uh, far predates it but in a weird way it's kind of like a film school movie Mm -hmm, it's like film school movies take place at film school or like at a college and somehow there's like um they take place in like libraries and stuff so it's like this movie's about hollywood so it's like it's almost easier to shoot because you can see all the seams of hollywood Mm -hmm. Um, of course everything's like immaculately um put together the whole mise en scene is clearly all very purposeful but it had to be incredibly easy to
1: get i would think it would be yeah
0: but you know there's some things again going back to uh sites and you know working with a director with a cinematographer, you want to make sure that the director's vision is carried out mm-hmm. and uh he asked uh Wilder and again this may be his humor or just the fact that he was to a point where he trusted everybody uh sites was like well do you have any you have any requirements for this um for this pet monkey death scene thing. And, and Wilder basically replied, Oh, you know, just your standard monkey funeral shot. That's what we need here. <laughs> and it's just like, I don't know what to take. I don't know what to make of that comment because Wilder has a dark sense of humor. A lot of times. He does. And at the same time, you don't know when he's being serious or when he's being, you know, but crazy cuckoo man.
1: That, that's kind of the point is you don't, I mean, are, are you familiar with Billy Wilder's headstone? No, I'm not. The man's grave says, I'm a writer, but then nobody's perfect. (laughs) Uh, That is part of the reason why this appeals to me so much is that the humor and the tragedy are not separate. They're Mm -hmm. not, they're not folded out into separate windows. The humor and the tragedy are all tied together. And the, you know, the, the terrifying thing when you look at this, I can definitely see, you know, Zach's assessment that this feels like a horror film, but it feels too, personal and there's too much pleasantness at the heart of all the corruption and rot because it's it's you want things to go better for these characters even yeah. when norma is over the top you kind of hope that the calls from paramount are what she hopes they are you know they're mm-hmm, not mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know in your heart they're not and you know that she's set up for this huge fall, but you're kind of, you don't necessarily root for her, but you want things to be better. You want this to end. Well, and it's, it's because propaganda.
3: this character is actually like, it, it's like, oh, crazy Hollywood lady. But this character is a real character. This yeah. type of person actually exists. And mm-hmm. a lot of us have dealt with it. It's this person sure. that kind of extracts. Um, feelings from you. They behave in such a way to get a constant reaction from you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. are that constantly doing climb. things to get a reaction. And you see it slowly happen to Joe until the point where, like, when, when he finds out what the deal is with the car, like him and uh, Max, right? The, the butler, right? They both find out and they're like, oh, we can never tell her, right? Like, they're both now in this like right. spiral with her. And we, as an audience, fall into it as well when mm-hmm. we realize that the call from Paramount isn't coming. We're mm-hmm. like, "Ooh, ooh, what's what's she gonna do? What's she gonna what's do to so her? Off? Don't it's, want gonna that be
0: awful. it's gonna I, be awful." I have a question for you guys. We see that it's very easy to just bury a monkey, right? You don't have to bring out the the coroner. You don't <laughs> yeah. have to uh, notify, uh, uh, you know, the the animal control people or anything like that.
1: I think that was illegal, by we, the way.
0: Okay, so. We know what happened to the first husband. We know what happened to Joe. (laughs) What happened to husbands two and three? They're dead.
1: You know how some of those plants look a little more (laughs) nutrient niche, like they have a little bit more nutrition in the soil at the front and those exterior shots? Plant one on the left, that's husband number two. I mean, do do you, do Uh, you, husband, husband
3: number three is Betty?
0: Do you think about that? I mean, is that something that comes up and goes, Oh, well, she has no problem
3: killing somebody because of her craziness, and Max is there to protect her. I don't, I don't yeah. think that she has no problem killing somebody. I think that the moment when she shoots him is she's like very, a long time
0: coming. Yeah, she's very you know, it's whatever. It's, I killed him. I think she she full snapped at
3: that yeah, point it's,
1: though. It's her desperation of realizing that he is leaving, and you know, knowing knowing somewhere deep down that this is her last shot and it's not going to happen. Knowing even, you know, you cannot have the meeting that she had with DeMille. And by the way, that whole sequence with DeMille is so wonderful. I didn't know DeMille could act. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's been, in, but,
0: I think he's actually been in more than one self-appearance.
1: I've never, I've never seen him. But that whole sequence where everybody is like coming up and they're like, oh, we, oh, it's you. We thought you were, you're, we, we used to love you. Mm-hmm. And then they're patting her on the head. Then they send her away. And somebody's like, I heard she was a nightmare to work with. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> that, that whole moment kind of feeds Rodrigo's thesis where everybody get, they get dragged into her little yeah, histrionic absolutely. spiral. They pat her on the head and they're like, oh, we used to love you. But, Nobody has the heart to tell her that it's not going to happen. Yeah. But she, oh, yeah. on some level, she knows. And when Joe is running away, when Joe's trying to leave her, that's when her mind comes to terms with the realization that it's not going to happen. Her life is essentially over. And then she kind of goes El Bonzo Seco, and mm-hmm. it's, it's all over. I think that that's where she lost her mind. And the rest of the movie is her completely off the deep end. She's like- she's gone.
0: Are you glad this is on the list, Zach?
1: Was on the list? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is this is a good movie. The
0: last time I was able to get this, it was on VHS. Oh, right. uh, and so that was quite a while ago that I was able mm-hmm. to watch it. And I've been looking for digital copies and digital copies. And it's only been in the last three or four months, I want to say, that Sunset Boulevard finally is on iTunes. So people can go and get yeah. it there um mm-hmm. they may also be able to get it over at amazon.com and if you want to get it over at amazon.com use that link over at majorspoilers.com yeah. click on that link go ahead and order sunset boulevard um you probably can get it on dvd mm-hmm. or you I maybe it on blu-ray amazon prime probably. uh blu-ray i know that the it's a good transfer it is good. it really is good a little bit comes our way and helps us do shows like zach on film okay so next time zach I'm i'm flipping through a couple of movies here looking at the list uh, I think another movie that kind of followed that should follow this up is another tragic story. Uh Rebel Without a Cause uh with James mm. with James Dean.
2: James Dean, I've heard of him.
0: Uh short tragic life. I mean, he's got a lot of credits, but um really only about three major movies that he was in really? before his yeah. tragic death. Oh. Oh. Yep. Um
1: Giant. Yeah. Rebel I, Without a Cause. I
0: think you're going to like this one. This is uh this is about a kid who can't fit in. Huh. And has trouble fitting in and finding love and very emo kind of things. Um, yeah. Stars James Dean, Natalie Wood. proto uh, Yes. Uh, and Jim Bacchus mm-hmm. as well. So people I think are, if you don't know who Jim Bacchus is, also has a young uh, Dennis Hopper in it.
1: By the uh, way. Yes. Was anybody else confused by the appearance of young spry Jack Webb? <laughs> i did not realize that jack webb was ever a child and the appearance of 21 year old jack webb at a party going hey everybody i'm a wacky guy i'm just like what
0: <laughs> what the things that will amaze you when you watch a movie Matthew.
1: <laughs> i know
0: sunset boulevard but next I'm week, a, rebel i'm gonna without get a, a copy
1: of this i'm gonna show this to my wife this of is-
0: uh sunset oh, i think we lost um. matthew Anyway, why don't we go ahead and wrap it up, uh,
2: Yeah, that'll Zach. be uh, it for Zach on Film this week. Uh, if you liked this episode, head over to Majorspoilers.com, where you can find the podcast posting page on our new, good-looking website. Uh, leave your comments about Sunset Boulevard in the comments and let us know what you thought about this movie. And like Stephen said earlier, head over to Amazon.com through the uh, link on the Majorspoilers website to purchase your own copy of Sunset Boulevard or Rebel Without a Cause for next time. It uh, won't cost you any extra, but a little bit will come back our way. So like we said, without a cause. Next time on Zach on Film.
0: I'm ready for my 4 up, mystery
1: If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up.